Hey everyone, just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and ebooks. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. Francis of Assisi once said, We have been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. Welcome to the 114th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that God is counting on us to reach out and support those around us. He's counting on us to be the community that others need to find healing. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. I wanted to start things off by talking about the misdiagnosis of mood disorders in children of color and what we can do about it. We're going to get started with the Child Mind Institute. Mood disorders are a category of mental health disorder that include depression, bipolar disorder, and other disorders with similar symptoms. Symptoms of mood disorders can be difficult to recognize. Research shows that kids of color may be more likely than white kids to get the wrong diagnosis when they show signs of a mood disorder. They might get written off as misbehaving, or they might be wrongly a diagnosed with a different disorder like conduct disorder or schizophrenia. One important cause of misdiagnosis of kids of color may be that they're experiencing unconscious bias on the part of the clinician. Kids of different races who have the same symptoms might get different treatment. For example, a clinician might assume that a black child who won't participate in class is just misbehaving, but if a white child shows the same symptoms, they may get a diagnosis of depression. Cultural differences can also lead to misdiagnosis if a clinician doesn't know what kinds of behavior or emotional expression are normal for a child's culture, they might miss signs of a mood disorder. In some cases, people of color might be less willing to share information with a white clinician due to their fear of being judged or punished. And with less information, the diagnosis is less likely to be accurate. So back to me real quick. This is so important to get right. A misdiagnosis can lead to lots of ongoing suffering because children are getting the wrong treatment for their situation or because they don't get any treatment at all. And we have to address this bias issue to make sure people are served in a culturally sensitive way that truly helps them. This is why it can be important to have a clinician with a similar cultural background, or if that's not possible, to ensure that the clinician you're seeing is culturally competent. More from the Child Mind Institute on how to work through this. Here are a few more ways to tell whether the clinician you're working with is likely to give your child an accurate diagnosis. They consider systemic stressors. So research shows that experiencing racism leads to increased stress levels and adverse health outcomes. Clinicians should be aware of the way that this kind of stress impacts kids and their behaviors, as well as the way that systemic racism can create obstacles in kids' lives. Next, they look at the whole picture. Medical issues should also be taken into account, uh, as well as social determinants of health. For example, a grumpy, argumentative child may be hungry, and black children are more likely to live in food deserts than their white peers. Also, in high crime areas, trauma is more likely to be a cause of a child's symptoms. 
Next, they listen to your child without jumping to conclusions. An accurate diagnosis relies on getting information directly from the child as well, not just from teachers or other authority figures who may misinterpret their behavior. Next, they take their time. Make sure that you're working with a clinician who's open to not just putting a stamp on the diagnosis. The clinician should be willing to continue gathering information before making that diagnosis and to really understand the child's experience and take a more holistic view. And finally, they use evidence-based methods uh, that are backed up by up-to-date research. Clinicians who pract- whose practice is uh, based on well-researched tools will be better equipped to give appropriate diagnoses to kids of any race. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed William Carter. Born in 1548 in London, William entered the printing business at an early age and served as an apprentice to a Catholic printer who had served a prison sentence for continuing to print works about the faith. William himself went to prison, sentenced for producing lewd content, meaning Catholic content, from Franciscan media. Officials who searched his house found various vestments and suspect books and even managed to extract information from William's distraught wife. Over the next 18 months, William remained in prison, suffering torture and learning of his wife's death. He was eventually charged with printing and publishing the Treatise of Schism, which allegedly incited violence by Catholics. While William calmly places trust in God, the jury met for only 15 minutes before reaching a verdict of guilty. He made his final confession to a priest who was being tried alongside him. He was hanged, drawn, and quartered the following day. William had a rough go, friends, from trauma to grief to most likely feeling abandoned by God and left to suffer through all of this. He's an absolutely incredible witness to us of the power of perseverance in the face of suffering and a wonderful holy hero ready to intercede on our behalf right this very minute. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, Almighty, ever-living God, by whose gift blessed William fought for righteousness' sake, even until death. Grant, we pray, that through his intercession we may bear every adversity for the sake of your love and hasten with all our strength toward you, who alone are life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Stephanie gets us started. I would like to hear about the role of exorcism, if any, in the reduction of mental health problems. As a social worker, we recognize that numerous biopsychosocial spiritual factors shape mental illness and that our role is to meet clients right where they are. I'm curious how this has emerged in contrast or alongside other evidence-informed practices as an important intervention for Catholics and others facing mental health issues. Well, let's start by praying for everyone experiencing mental health symptoms and for those experiencing spiritual assaults that make it difficult to function, for healing, peace, and a community of support. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I really appreciate this question, Stephanie, and I want to make sure to start by saying that demonic possession is real, that there are real spiritual forces at work in our world that can make like difficult for us, make us feel hopeless, helpless, etc. And thanks be to God, our church has experts who are able to assess this and provide the necessary intervention for relief from this type of experience. If someone listening feels they might be experiencing some kind of spiritual attack, they should absolutely reach out to their parish priest or their diocese to explore the possibility of an assessment and direction for how best to move forward. So now that I've said that, I want to make sure to underscore here that mental illness is far more common than demonic possession. And it's important, especially in our Catholic communities, not to conflate the two or to make assumptions that someone experiencing mental illness may be under the influence of a demon. It's not only stigmatizing, but it can also lead to people not getting connected to the services they need and enforce the lie that we must not be believing enough or praying enough or loved by God enough if we're feeling depressed or anxious or experiencing symptoms related to trauma in our lives. That's a terribly painful message for far too many people to hear in our church, and it's it's just absolutely not true. So when we look at the biopsychosocial and spiritual side of mental health, what we really want to focus on are all the ways that we can cope with our experience. We need to encourage mental health professionals to look at each of us holistically when helping us on our mental health journey. And this includes looking into spiritual strengths that we might have and spiritual ways of thinking about our experience and how to conceptualize our journey. It's something that's missed way too often in mental health treatment, and hopefully we can spark a return to a more holistic approach just by talking about it. Katie is up next. Kids with mental health issues, anxiety, OCD, how can they look to the saints for support? Well, first, let's join together in prayer for all of our children who are experiencing mental health symptoms, for access to care, for compassionate care from their parents, and for healing. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This is such a cool question, and I'm so happy that you brought it up because us feeling connected to the saints in the midst of our mental health struggles is so important. We know that we have a great cloud of witnesses praying for us and walking with us from above, but so often we restrict these holy heroes into their small little saint box, only focusing on their perfect faith lives, and then we feel disconnected from them because we don't see ourselves in them. This is hard because it can leave us feeling like there isn't any hope for us given all the struggles that we're going through and all the times that we felt less than perfect when it comes to living our faith in the midst of our mental health symptoms. This is why, for the sake of our kids experiencing anxiety, OCD, etc., we've got to work hard to talk about the entire person when we talk about the saints. When we share their life story, we have to go out of our way to educate our children and ourselves on what their lives were actually like. This is the key to helping us feel connected, helping us feel hopeful in terms of our faith, even when we find ourselves unable to even pray. Let's not only talk about Oscar Romero's brave witness and martyrdom in El Salvador. We have to talk about how he was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive personality disorder and went to therapy for help with his symptoms. Let's not only talk about how Padre Pio once said, pray, hope, and don't worry. We have to talk about how this was actually advice for himself because he struggled with anxiety and a whole host of health issues. Let's not only talk about the selfless lives of Dorothy Day and Edith Stein or so many others without also sharing how they lived with depression and even had times when they felt like they didn't want to go on living. 
Let's not only talk about how great Pope Francis is without also talking about how he shared his experiences with a psychologist who helped him to learn to cope with his own mental health experiences. Our children who are experiencing anxiety, OCD, depression, and so many other mental health experiences can find support in the saints. They can find hope in the saints. They can find a friend in the saints. If only we're willing to break that tiny little holiness box and share the whole person when we talk about them. Lisa wraps us up. What is the best way or just some really good strategies for helping a loved one who is experiencing extreme anxiety or having a panic attack? Let's start by joining in prayer for everyone experiencing extreme anxiety and panic attacks for peace and good and healthy coping strategies to come with greater ease and for their loved ones to be there for them with compassion and love. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. This is such a great question, and I'm so grateful that you're wanting to learn more about how to help a loved one with anxiety. The first thing to share is that coping skills for anxiety need to be practiced when one is feeling well. This is so important because once anxiety starts, it's really difficult to come up with a way to cope in the moment unless we've practiced. And once a full-blown panic attack starts, there's, there's little to do other than to wait for it to pass to weather the storm, which is really painful and scary and overwhelming. As a loved one, practice coping skills for anxiety with the one you love. Help them with breathing exercises, mindfulness practices. Do it around the dinner table. Do it over Zoom. Help them to practice the coping skills that they feel mesh with their personality and experience so that when the anxiety starts to surface, they'll know what to do. Try practicing a couple of times each day to get the hang of it. And if you're around when someone is experiencing those first moments of anxiety, help remind them of the coping skills you've practiced to encourage them to start engaging in them before it gets to the point of a panic attack. Gentle reminders, supportive reminders, compassionate reminders. And as to how to help someone in the midst of a panic attack that's already hit, let's look to the University of Michigan's Children's Hospital. If someone you know has a panic attack, he or she may become very anxious and not think clearly. You can help the person by doing the following. Stay with the person and keep calm. Offer medication if the person usually takes it during an attack. Move the person to a quiet place. Don't make assumptions about what the person needs. Ask. Speak to the person in short, simple sentences. Be predictable. Avoid surprises. Help the person focus by asking him or her to repeat a simple physically tiring tasks such as raising his or her arms over the head. Help slow the person's breathing by breathing with him or her and by counting slowly to 10. It is helpful when the person is experiencing a panic attack to say things such as, you can get through this. I'm proud of you. Good job. Tell me what you need now. Concentrate on your breathing. Stay in the present. It's not the place that is bothering you. It's the thought. And what you're feeling is scary, but it's not dangerous. And of course, know that we'll keep up the prayers. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in a future episode, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. 
And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.